that today for the blood of Jesus. Come on and give him praise. Would you do that? Thank God for the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there'd be no remission of sins. Don't sit down, reach for your Bibles, and keep standing, please, if you don't mind. Appreciate Pastor Tony and this choir. What a wonderful job that they do every week. An amazing, amazing job today singing about the blood of Jesus. There's power, power. The old song said, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. I like that song, that part we sing, that it reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. It's the blood that gives me strength. It'll never ever lose its power. You realize there are denominations and movements today that they want to eliminate the blood out of, out of, their, out of their message because it's offensive and it's, it's messy and it's nasty. But I'm telling you, that is the bedrock and the crux of Christianity is Jesus Christ crucified on a cross, blood shed for us, Listen, they raised him high. They stretched him wide. They took him off of that cross, placed him in a borrowed tomb, and resurrection power on the third day invaded that tomb, and he got up victorious over death, over hell, over the grave. He ascended back to the right hand of the Father. He's there today interceding for you and interceding for me, but the story doesn't stop there. He is going to come again one day and take us to heaven. I'm thankful today for the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ crucified, buried, raised again and returning to take us home. If you're glad about that, come on and praise him today. Hallelujah. In the book of Philippians, quickly this morning, Philippians chapter 4, if you'll go there today. Over the course of the next few weeks, I'm going to preach some just some standalone messages. I've been in a series, different series since I've been here and I'm just going to take the next couple of Sundays and just preach some standalone messages because in September I'm going to jump into a series again and probably September, October, November, December I'll have us in some different series of messages but I'm just going to preach some standalone messages these next couple of weeks. In the book of Philippians chapter number 4 hopefully you have it in your Bibles or on your electronic devices or you can follow along on the screen behind me. The Apostle Paul he pins this letter to a church at a place called Philippi. Theologians tell us that at the time of this writing, he is chained to a prison guard. And before he writes verse 6 and verse 7 that I want to read in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now this is coming from a man who was locked up in prison and chained to a guard. He goes on in verse 5 and says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And then in verses 6 and 7, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God. Somebody say the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts, shall guard your minds, 
Let me read verse 8. He'll conclude. It's not on the screen for you. But Paul says, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, if there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. But I want to draw your attention to verse 7 for just a moment this morning where Paul says, And the peace of God that surpasses all, everybody say all, that surpasses all understanding, it will guard your heart, it will guard your mind. I want to take a few moments and I want to talk and preach on this thought today, the missing peace. Father, for the next few moments, would you help us today? God, I want to preach this word. I want to deliver my heart. I want to help somebody today before they leave this place find a sense of peace that's been missing in their lives. Holy Spirit, touch our minds. Give us revelation, knowledge of your word today. Let us grasp and comprehend everything that you want us to get today into our hearts. And may the word of God be transformational today. We bless you and thank you for what you're going to do in these altars in the next few moments. In Christ's name, the church said amen. God bless you today. You can be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you. I wonder if anybody in here recalls those jigsaw puzzles that we attempted to put together as children. You know, some of those jigsaw puzzles came in boxes with pieces of 100. Some had 200. Some had 500. Some had 1,000. Then somebody had the bright idea to create a jigsaw puzzle in a box with 5,000 pieces. I must admit to you this morning that I never completed a jigsaw puzzle. I attempted, but after about the second or third piece, I was done. But there are some of you in here that you're smart enough and you can process stuff enough and you were bored enough. I mean, I've been to many beach houses through the years on vacation and inevitably most of those beach houses have a jigsaw puzzle. Now, it's beyond me and my ability to comprehend why would you go on vacation? And you're that bored, you have to put a jigsaw puzzle together. Some of you, you understand because you're silently sitting there thinking, Pastor, that's me, I'm sorry. But could you imagine, after spending countless hours snapping every piece into place, to get down to the very end and discover that that one piece is missing that would leave your goal incomplete, unsuccessful. That would leave many of you, myself included, feeling stressed and frustrated. I mean, I am wired in such a way that I would probably lose sleep 
because it would be undone. And that one piece, it has to be somewhere. That missing piece would leave you possibly dissatisfied and unfulfilled that you could not complete what you started. And the question that would inevitably come out of our mouths and would run through our minds would be this, where is that missing piece? That's a question that a lot of people are asking today in this world. Not where is the missing puzzle piece, but where is that missing piece? Where is the peace that I'm supposed to have that comes from God? Now, peace is a priceless gift that God gives to us. Peace is a wonderful thing when we can experience it. When I was a boy, we used to sing this old chorus, peace, peace, wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. Peace is indeed something wonderful. It is God's good pleasure to give peace to His children. There are over 400 references to peace in the Bible. I love what Psalm 29 and 11 says. It says that God will give his children strength and he will bless his people with peace. Peace is without a doubt a blessing that comes from God. And I believe that it is safe for us to say today and for me to declare to you that this world is void of peace. I want you to consider the fact that in the 1900s, the top 10 killers were infectious diseases. But in the 1990s, the top 10 killers were all stress related. They say that there are 30 million people in this country who suffer from sleeplessness. 25 million people, they say, suffer from hypertension, high blood pressure. 20 million, they say, suffer from ulcers. They say there are 5 million people in this country who have some type of phobia. They say that there are 2,000 suicides a day around the world, and many of them caused by depression. There are 4 million people a year who receive medical treatment for severe cases of depression. And this last one may astonish you, but they say it is a documented fact that over half of the people occupying hospital beds are there because of mental or emotional disorder. This world is void of peace. 
The headlines in the newspaper every day scream at us and say, where is the missing piece? The headlines on the 11 o'clock and the 6 o'clock news reveal to us that there, Brother Turpin, is a great absence of peace in this world today. So we ask the question, how? How can we live with peace? In a world that is full of chaos. How can we live with peace in a world that is in such upheaval right now? The word of God promises to us that there is a peace that comes from God that we can have. Jesus said in John 14 and 27, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. And not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Isaiah 26 and 3 promises us that he will keep us in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusteth. In him. And then in Isaiah 9 and 6, as they were prophesying, Isaiah was prophesying and foretelling the coming of the Christ child. He said that his name would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince or the Captain of Peace. There is a promise of peace for us that is contained in the Word of God. And even though God's word promises peace to us, it is a true statement that there are many of us who on a regular basis feel that void of peace in our lives. So I want to give you today some very simple, practical points that will help you live with peace in the midst of a stress-filled, anxiety-ridden Peaceless world, number one. If you're going to live with peace and you're going to be able to receive the promise of peace that God has. How many of you understand that anytime that God gives us a promise, there's some things that we have to do in order to be able to receive that promise. And the first thing we've got to do, we have to let it go. Somebody say, let it go. Whatever it is that is robbing you of peace, you have to let it go. Go, everybody take both of your fists and this morning. And I want you to take your hands. I just want you to open up your, your hands and just do this. Whatever it is that's robbing you of peace, and it is different for people everywhere. It may be fear for you. You've got to let it go. It may be doubt for you. You have to let it go. It may be stress for you. You have to... Let it go. It may be the fact that you're unemployed and you have no job. You have to let it go. It may be the fact that your finances are unstable. You're not sure how you're going to pay your next bill. You have to let it go. It may be your children that are causing peace to be vacant from your life. You have to let it go. It may be an unknown source. You have to let it 
go. And when you let it go and you open up your hands, you're saying, God, I can't control this anymore. God, I don't have the power to take care of this anymore. I hear the words of the psalmist David in Psalm 55 and 22. He says, cast thy burden up on the Lord and he shall sustain thee. That means he shall provide for you. He shall make provision for you. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. It means that he will never suffer the righteous to slip, to shake, or to fall. That simply means that God has you and God has your situation in the palm of his hand. And he's wanting you today to open it up and let it go and let him have it. One version says it like this. Give your worries to the Lord and he will take care of you. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5 and 7, casting all of your cares upon the Lord because he careth for you. You have to let it go. Your shoulders were not made strong enough to carry the burdens that you're carrying around. Your legs were not made strong enough to walk around and carry the weight that you've got on your back. I want to tell you God is big enough. God is strong enough. God is powerful enough and his peace is great enough. He can take care of every situation of every circumstance. Cast your burden upon the Lord. Let it go. Somebody yell, let it go. And then David said in Psalm 55 and 18, that same chapter, he said, He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many, David said, who were against me. He redeemed my soul in peace. What was David talking about? He wrote that psalm at a point when his son Absalom, his own flesh and blood, was trying to steal the throne from him. He had conspired and connived to take the throne from his father. And some of David's most trusted advisors and closest friends had turned their backs on him and pledged their loyalty to Absalom. And David says, he has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. There's folks in here today and you are in the midst of a battle. You're in the midst of of a fight of your life. You've never been in such a place before and all you feel is confusion. All you see is chaos all around you. I've come by to tell you today if you'll cast your burden upon the Lord, if you'll stop carrying that thing around, if you'll let go and you'll let God have it, I'm telling you God will take care of you and His peace will cover you. His peace will provide for you. His peace will surpass everything you can think or hope or even imagine. Somebody say, let it go. We've got to let it go. Here's the second thing we got to do. we got to lay it down. Somebody say, lay it down. Well, Pastor, what do I need to lay down? You've got to lay down the hurt. You've got to lay down the bitterness. You've got to lay down the unforgiveness. Listen, until you get to a place that you can learn to forgive other people who have hurt you and wounded you, you will never live with peace. Peace is a joy. I'm sorry, unforgiveness is a joy robber. 
And it is a peace stealer. Unforgiveness will hold you captive in a state of torment. And it will, without a doubt, keep you from experiencing God's best. And you do realize that the only person that unforgiveness hurts, it's not the person you're holding the grudge against. The only person unforgiveness hurts and the only person that unforgiveness holds captive and holds prisoner is you. Because when you refuse to forgive, you just say to that person, you continue to have power over my life. Let me, let, me, let, me just, let me talk for a moment to you and help you today. When I talk about forgiveness and forgiving others, I'm not suggest, suggesting that you forget what's happened. Because just, just because you forgive somebody does not mean that you'll ever forget the pain and the hurt that's been caused in your life. But when there's true forgiveness, the attitude that you take on when you think about it will have changed from bitterness and hate to a love that God gives you that helps you to deal with whatever it is that has happened in your life. Jesus, wanting to illustrate this point, one day when Peter walks up to him, in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, reveals the story. Peter said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone when they sin against me? He said, seven times. Now, Peter's trying to flex his spiritual muscles there. Seven times, Lord. Up to seven times I'll forgive a man. Jesus said, no, Peter. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, if you're stopping to calculate, and it's 490, if you're stopping to calculate, you've missed the point. Jesus is saying to Peter, not seven times, one, one, one verse, it says up to 70 times seven a day. A man will sin against you or wound you or hurt you, you forgive them. Now, let me help someone today. And I'm not a relationship expert by any means. I've been married for 18 years, and we've had our fair share of mistakes, and I put my foot in my mouth more times than I can count. But I've been doing this job for 20 years, so I think I've learned a little something along the way about relationships. I was a pastor's kid for years before I got into the ministry, and I, we have been through some terrible hurt and pain that my parents have experienced at the hands of church people that left me for a period of time angry and bitter and upset and full of hate. I don't have time to go into all that story, but thankfully God spared me. Thankfully God healed me and God helped me. But when I recall those memories, I've never forgot them. But it doesn't hurt anymore like it used to. And Jesus is not saying to us that if a man sins against you or someone takes advantage of you, that you have to... Keep opening yourself up and subjecting yourself to the pain and the hurt that they cause. You don't keep going back if somebody continues to wound you. Not saying you have to stay connected. You've got to stay best friends with them. Here's the truth. You don't have to like everybody. 
even have to like me. But if you plan on going to heaven, you got to love me. And you're not going to like everybody. You're not going to like everything that they do to you. But you cannot let your heart get full of hate and the poison venom of bitterness. So Jesus goes on to illustrate the story. And he says, one day there was this king who went to settle his accounts with his servants. And he goes up to one of his servants who owes him $100,000. And he says to the man, to his servant, you owe me this amount of money. Pay me everything that you owe me. And the man said to him, sir, I... I don't have the money. I can't pay you. And the king says, I want you to take this man, take his wife, take his children and everything that he has and sell it all and pay me my debt. The man falls on his knees and he pleads and he begs for mercy. He says, have, have, have pity on me and I'll, I'll, I'll pay the debt. And the Bible says the king was moved with compassion for the man. And he forgave him all of his debt. That same man who'd just been forgiven of a $100,000 debt gets up, goes out and finds one of his fellow servants who owes him an equivalent of $10. Grabs him around the throat, the Bible says, and says, pay me everything that you owe me. That fellow servant looks at him and says, sir, I don't have it. But have pity on me and I'll pay you everything I owe. And the Bible said that servant refused to forgive him. And he took him and he threw him into prison until he could pay his debt. Some of the man's other fellow servants saw what was going on. They go back to the king and said, listen, did you not just forgive this man of a $100,000 debt? Yes, I did. Well, he, he's, his fellow servant right here owed him $10. And he's thrown him into prison for it. When the king heard it. He was furious. And he said to the unforgiving servant, you wicked Man, unforgiveness is nothing, nothing but the work of the enemy that he comes to choke the life out of us with, to steal the peace that God promises. And the Bible says that that king said, says to him, did I not forgive you of your debt, your $100,000 debt, and this man owes you $10? said, take him, and watch what the Bible says, and deliver him to the tormentors until he can pay everything that he owes me. And then Jesus looks at the people that day to illustrate the point, the parable that he was telling, and says, your heavenly Father will do the same to you if you from your heart do not forgive men their trespasses or their sin that they've done against you. Forgiveness is not a matter of the head. Forgiveness is not a matter of your mouth. Forgiveness is a matter of your heart. And if from our heart we cannot forgive people that have wounded us, He will deliver us to the tormentors. And here's the point that unforgiveness will steal your peace, will rob your joy, and will hold you captive in a state of torment. Let me give you a modern day story. Is this all right this morning? I need to hurry. 
This is my last point. On June the 12th, 2012, a 73-year-old man by the name of Carl Erickson was sentenced to life in prison for shooting a classmate of his from 50 years prior. The once successful insurance salesman married to his wife for over 44 years just seemed to snap one day. The story reveals and it goes back to the time that Carl Erickson was in high school. There was a young man by the name of Norman Johnson who was a star track athlete. Carl Erickson was one of the sports team managers. And in a locker room prank one day, Norman Johnson, the story said, pulled a jock strap over Carl Erickson's head. Humiliated him in front of everyone. As time went on and as they lived their life, Norman Johnson just always seemed to be one up on Carl Erickson, went off to college, had a scholarship to play football, graduated with his degree, went back to his alma mater and coached for 30 years. And Carl Erickson had a 50-year grudge that had been stewing and burning in his heart. True story. One morning, he went to Norman Johnson's house, rang the doorbell, and when Norman Johnson came to the door, Carl Erickson pulled out a gun and blew him away. When it came time for sentencing, the trial was going on. Mr. Erickson said to the judge, he said, I suppose it's from a 50-year grudge. And incident that happened 50 years ago that I've been carrying around. He said, apparently it was in my subconscious and I could not shake it. During the sentencing phase when it was read that he would be sentenced to life in prison, Carl Erickson looked back at Norman Johnson's widow who sat in the courtroom and said to her, I'm sorry. I wish I could turn calendar back and for 50 years Carl Erickson walked around Pastor Tony come help me please he walked around and carried a 50 year old grudge in his heart because he refused to lay it down it robbed him of peace it robbed him of the rest of his life of freedom. And I'm telling you today that you cannot live with peace if you refuse to lay down the grudge and the bitterness and the unforgiveness. Pastor, you don't understand. You don't realize what people have done to me. Pastor, you don't realize the pain that I've walked through in my life. You don't understand <clears throat> how bad the hurt is. You're right, I, I probably don't. 
But I do know this, you can't live with peace if you won't lay it down. and we'll walk around and we'll carry a grudge for years. It may not end in the same severe manner as it did here in this story. But eventually, if you don't lay it down, it's going to suck the life out of you. And we've got to learn to lay it down and forgive others. But can I, can I tell you this last thing? You've got to learn to forgive yourself and lay it down. There's not one person in this auditorium today under the sound of my voice who has never messed up. I know some of you think you're perfect. I just want to let you know you're not. I mean, I know you polish your halos when you get here on Sundays, but I'm going to tell you, you're not, you haven't always been an angel. You know, the devil manifests as an angel of light. I mean, you know. <clears throat> But every one, of us, every one of us in here, we've messed up, haven't we? We have all made mistakes. Miscues, we've misstepped. We've done things we shouldn't have done. We've said things we shouldn't have said. Listen, some of us, we've got some things back in the dark corners of our closets. We hope nobody ever finds out or maybe they do know about it. We hope to never have to think about it again. We talk so often about the fact that Jesus tells us that if we don't forgive others, that He can't forgive us. But what about forgiving ourselves? What about holding a grudge against ourselves? It's possible to do that, you know. To live with such bitterness and regret toward our own selves. If you don't learn to lay it down, you'll never have peace in your life. There's nothing so bad the grace of God has not already taken care of. The Bible says if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And I don't, I don't think it just means sins against God or someone else, but listen, some of you have sinned against yourself. But at some point, listen, you have to stop cheapening the grace of God. Listen, no matter what it is that you've done, the grudge and the weight and the bitterness that you hold towards yourself, is the grace of God not good enough to take care of it? But you cheapen His grace. And you say, God could never forgive me for that. Do you really think that? I mean, do you think what we just watched here, the, 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 the Hollywood reenactment of the passion of the Christ, that as powerful as that was, doesn't even begin to do justice to what Jesus went through? Do you think that's not powerful enough and strong enough to take care of every mistake that you and I have ever made? It's the last story I want to close with. Somebody once said that unforgiveness is like a 
knife blade that is lodged in our souls. And the story is told of a, of a man who lived with unbearable pain in his head for four years. Tried everything that he could to relieve the pain and nothing worked. And finally, true story, his doctor ordered an x-ray. And the results were startling. They found a rusty four-inch knife blade lodged in his skull. At some point in that man's life, the story said he had he'd been the victim of an attempted robbery. And somehow in that scuffle, in that fight, he had suffered some lacerations across his face and his jaw. And unbeknown to him that that knife blade had broken off and had lodged in his skull. And for four years, he lived with unbearable, horrible pain. And here's the point. Unforgiveness is like a knife blade lodged in our souls. Listen, we can't live with foreign objects in our physical bodies and we cannot live with foreign objects lodged in our soul. And unforgiveness is a foreign object. The body is not made to live with. The soul is not made to live with unforgiveness. I'm here to tell you today that if you don't lay it down, If you don't lay down the unforgiveness, you don't lay down the bitterness that you're holding against others and against yourself, you'll never find that sense of peace the Bible talks about. Just bow your heads for a moment, please, this morning.